Our guests today are all about the mind and the body and how they are tied together in any athletic activity, especially golf. One of them I've known since he was three weeks old and watched him grow over a lifetime into a big brain smarty pants. The other, I've only known for just over three weeks, but she's the type of person who makes you feel like you've been friends forever. Today, Adam Kingsbury and Rosa Rago are going to help set our minds and body free. It's the Off the Grid Golf Show. This is Swing Thoughts. How'd you like that? Awesome. You got even fade music going on. Oh, yeah, everything. man. That's right. This, uh, I can't remember. Is this episode four or is this episode? This is episode five. Five. Wow. I keep writing Thanks. episode four in my checks. Uh, all right. I'm Howard. This is Tim. Tim O'Connor is the uh, mental performance uh, coach for Glen Abbey, uh, working with a lot of uh, junior golfers and uh, regular golfers, good and bad and everything in between. And Howard Glassman. Yes. Is an amateur golfer, but a professional, a broadcast legend. Yes. But Canadian amateur player. Yes. Na- uh, club champ at the national. You know how hard the national is. I do know. This That's why I don't this play. This guy's there anymore. done his work. He's done his work. Uh, Tim and I are uh, pleased to have uh, a couple of guests today, and uh, we'll get to them in a second. One in studio, one on the phone, actually one on Skype. Um, as always, we uh, really appreciate. The comments that we're getting on iTunes. I don't know if you have you seen a couple of the nice people that have weighed in. Not for the uh, couple of days. No. You can uh, subscribe to us uh, on iTunes. Uh, that would be really really good if you did that. We would appreciate it. Uh, Tim's uh, website is O'ConnorGolf CA. Oh man, almost. almost. I know. I was so close. Yeah. I was so close to Tim's website. Um, yeah, I was going to say there's been a couple people commenting. Uh, saying some nice things. And what that does for us is it actually, if you could rate the podcast highly, hopefully, whatever, but give it a rating and a, and a, um, a review. And what that does with the iTunes metrics, the algorithm, the way, the way it works is that it will bring it up a little bit higher so people, when they go to, say, sports or uh, recreation, which I think is our category, they'll see it. Uh, there are a couple of golf shows, but mostly they suck. So we are proud of the fact that possibly this might be the only golf show of its kind that isn't heinous. You mean it's fun? Fun and informative. And you can learn something from it, too? All going to happen today. Your game gets better because you listen to a podcast. Um, You know, it's funny. We talked a little bit about what we're working on. Tim and I are working on some stuff around putting. Uh, because I think one of the things we've said to, to all amateurs that are listening is that we think there's a, a real learning in you know sort of mastering your emotions and and how that could attr- um, turn into better scores. But there are some nuts and bolts things, uh, a couple little things that we've worked on in, in my putting game that maybe later on, I'm not sure if we've talked about it, but I think we should talk about it. I can tell you how it's, it's helped me already in a couple weeks. Cool. Well, and, and, and the thing was just basically focusing on a spot on the ball as opposed to focusing on all the other s- stuff that happens in your stroke. Absolutely. Yeah. The the whole idea is around getting out of your way. Yeah. To allow yourself just to putt and just to let it go and draw on your natural talent. So I do with a lot of my clients, I'll just start them off on the green and I say, what are you trying to do here? Hit the ball. Have you ever really looked at the ball? And most people have it. They don't even notice the dimples on it, the shading or anything like that. It's, a, it's amazing how unaware so many of us are. Right. So with you, we just started this drill, put the ball down. And just look at the ball. <laughs> Be fast. And then 
and that just creates this awareness. It gets us out of our heads of, of stroke and do this and that. 100%. And just allows us just to... Just a putt. I was hitting some putts yesterday, and, and you know, sort of mid-range, 8 to 10-footers and some 30-footers, and um, all I was doing was just looking at something on the ball and not worrying about, you know, where I thought it was going to go, and it's just, in, it's uncanny how good your stroke sort of feels and how good your natural body movement is when you're not focused on outcome. And putting, actually, is a great place to start with our, our first guest. As I mentioned in my ethereal opening, it's, tr- it's true. I- I've known this uh, person since he was born. I've known his father since I was 17. And I was telling Tim before the show, Adam Kingsbury, for me, has always been one of the smartest people I ever knew, even when he was eight years old. He's also a bit of a smartass, which I've always loved. Kind of, I think it gets that from his papa. That's a dangerous combination. Um, hey, Kingsbury. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, before I tell everyone about your honors and MA and psychology and all this stuff, let me just tell you about your mom. Okay. <laughs> so, it seems like a logical place to start. It does. Uh, so I'm uh, on Facebook yesterday. All of a sudden, I get a message. It pops up. There's, you know, your mom, Adam Kingsbury's mom. She's like, <laughs> Adam is hilarious to me. She goes, you should have uh, Adam on Swing Thoughts. He would totally crush it. <laughs> And I was like, well, FYI, he's on. Uh, we're taping a show tomorrow. She's like, oh, that's excellent. <laughs> that's excellent. Um, and what did she say? She said, uh, hey, Howard, you should talk to Adam about the mental aspects of golf and other sports. Besides getting his Ph.D., he does this professionally on the side as a business. <laughs> oh, really? Gee, I, I didn't know that, Don. Proud mom. That's so nice. So actually what your listeners don't know is that my mom convinced you, actually forced you to uh, have me on. That's not true. She was way late to the party. Lies That's and true. deceit. Lies um, and deceit. Anyway, Adam Kingsbury is a clinical psychology doctoral resident. Uh, and as I said, you know, I've, I've known Adam a long time. I actually think the first time I met Adam, he was, uh, you know, whizzing in a diaper, which is interesting because now so am I. So it's we've come full circle. <laughs> Does he wear a white coat? Like, does he wear a big, long, white coat? when he's uh, Do you wear a big, long, white coat? Uh, it depends on who I'm working with. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm so proud of Adam. Adam became a, uh, was like I said, always the smartest guy in the room. And Adam became a golfer. Adam's played on uh, collegiate, I played level, what was it, varsity level collegiate golf. Uh, yeah. You know, you became a, a, a very avid player. Um, what would yeah. be your lowest handicap? Um, so la- last summer, I actually got it to a plus 1.2. Nice. Um, but what happened was, uh, as you know, we have a, a new baby. and uh, It's funny, when, your, mom, your mom asked me to get the baby on the show too, by the way. Well, I mean, I could go upstairs and uh, wake him. No, and, and I'm sure he'd be a really great guest. You know, he'd, he'd have a lot to add to the show. So life got on the way, and, but you, I want to give some context. You're, you're a very fine player. Um, I've, uh, I've enjoyed the game, and I uh, very much like to compete. How, how about we say it that way? So I, I'm curious, because we played a little bit of golf together as you sort of were developing. Adam started playing some tournament golf. Um, and I'm curious, and... and Tim, maybe you've had this experience too. Where along the golf continuum does interest turn into wanting to compete? Because it doesn't do that for everybody. Some people are happy, or seemingly happy, playing golf for fun. We, I don't get it, but some people are. I think when you get invested in the game with just 
the competition and being out there for me it was caddying and caddying club championships uh, in in London and just being really caught up that this it's just really exciting. Um, this guy's competing. It's mano mano. That's when I fell in love with the game in a big way. But in, but again, lots of people love the game, and not everyone wants to put themselves is uh, sort of in harm's way. So, Adam, when when you were younger and you were getting into golf, I played some golf with you. You were a good player. I don't know, five, four, three handicap. And then you started to play sort of at the club level and then the provincial level and then the collegiate level. And what I'm trying to figure out with you, Kingsbury, is, is that when you sort of thought, hmm, there's something to this, um, the mental side of performing at a high level in athletics well well howard i mean i wonder if it's important to uh to talk a little bit about you know that time that you brought me out uh as a guest at the national i mean remember i i got into the game and yeah sure you know quickly realized how much uh fun it is to hit the ball well and to go out and i think the lessons and um the enjoyment of the game is what's is what brings everyone into it, right? I mean, regardless of your skill level, every one of us can go out and and appreciate the fact that we're on beautifully landscaped um, courses. It's it's nice weather. We're always traditionally or hopefully surrounded with people that we uh, enjoy their company. Um, and and let's be honest, it's it's fun to do something um, that you're good at. But what really changed for me was, you know, over 10 years ago, the time that you did take me out to the National, and uh, I've never experienced golf at that level before. That was our golf in the kingdom moment. <clears throat> it, it really was, wasn't it? Well, um, maybe, not, maybe not for you, but certainly for me it was. And seeing you hit the ball, seeing you um, hit golf, iron shots and actually be able to take a divot and i remember distinctly <laughs> you know that the sound the sound that the uh the sound that it made when you actually hit the ball was something you know that i had not previously seen before you know the fact that you could actually move the ball both ways and you know that that was a a, a defining moment um in golf for me um and then yeah a few years later i ended up going to university and um you know just became I mean, I, when, when you say obsession, it sounds like such a, a terrible word, but the reality is, is I became obsessed with the game and uh, did everything that I could to um, immerse myself in the teachings, uh, you know, playing as much as I can, watching golf on TV, reading all the books, and, um, you know, is it a passion or is it an obsession? But or I, I, I want to get back. Th th that day we played golf together, and we talked about it the other day. I, I didn't realize it had such a, an effect on you. I just remember you and I played by ourselves. We were talking about the game all the way around, and what I was struck by that day was your interest intellectually, because, again, I, I've known Adam as a bright person for a long time, but I, I remember we talked a lot about that day about what what we were thinking while we were playing. I talked a lot about what I think about strategy-wise or whatever. And then I found out, and I sort of, you know, I kept in touch with Adam through his parents, but then I sort of found out that Adam's now taking sports psychology, and Adam <laughs> wants to be a psychologist. And now, so w was it not just the physical part you were interested in, but for our show, we're, we're talking about the mental side of golf. Right. Is that what intrigued you? I mean, you did your thesis. I, I, I told Tim, I said, I think Adam's going to be good for our show. And he said, why? I said, because he, um, he did a thesis on, where is this, on the anxiety what is it? The anxiety around putting. Yes. Where's the actual one, Tim? Oh, yeah. He he studies the links between anxiety and golf putting performance. I thought, yeah, that'll be good for us. That's the guy I want to talk to. 
So, so yeah. So, so go so, ahead and talk about the interest psychologically. Oh, well, simply put, um, my first year at uh, Carleton, um, you know, Carleton Ravens had a varsity golf team, but but let's be honest here, um, you know, the, the caliber of play was. Uh, you know, let's just say we would have been a, a bottom uh, feeder. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we had funding from the school and um, I was fortunate enough to play uh, in the national championships in 2005 and we flew out to Victoria and I've never experienced um, pressure the way that I did standing on the first tee that day. Um, you know, the, the physical symptoms, but, you know, the thoughts that were running through my head, just the unbelievably terrible stories, you know, that we all tell ourselves. And, and I remember being so nervous, but somehow, you know, hitting the ball off the first tee, kind of hitting a chunky seven iron just short of the green. And I think I even made contact and, you know, left myself, left myself a three-footer straight up the hill, and uh, for par, and I remember not being able to take the putter back, and it, honestly missing the putt by six inches to the left, and 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 that moment was you know was so interesting to me because of actually getting to experience what is happening to the body when we are under these pressure scenarios. So I mean, when it was time for me to do my honors thesis in uh, my fourth year. Um, we have to pick up an area of psychology to study, um, and there are a number of different things that we can do. But I wanted a way that I could do my thesis but also spend time on the golf course. So I uh, designed a study um, using experimental methods to uh, make people feel uh, stress and um, collected data, published that, and long story short, got into my PhD and started um, really looking at the connection between what actually happens when we are under pressure and the direct links to how does that translate into the putter movement? So does the face stay open? Does the stroke shorten? Does our path change? Um, what actually happens to the kinematic data? And that's the, the fancy way of saying, you know, the, the movement of the putter. Yeah. So what does happen in your body when, when a putt means something to you and you're under pressure? What's happening physiologically? I can't say that. It's all right. What happens to your body? What happens physiologically? So let's, I, I think the best way to describe this for listeners is to, you know, appreciate the fact that we have such an, such an intricate link between our thoughts and our emotions, right? So we're sitting here today, I'm sure you guys are in a comfortable uh, environment there, right? And, and everything feels good. I, I know I'm, I'm sitting here in my basement. Um, you know, life is good right now. But if we were to close our eyes and actually picture the happiest moment of our life and really, really immerse yourself in that image for a second. You know, maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe it's winning a championship. Maybe it's, who knows, a, a vacation. But, but I'm sure everyone can actually embrace this, this activity. And for you guys that are thinking threesome, stop it here. This is a family show. Sorry, Adam. Go, <laughs> That's go back. That, listen, you know what? I, I, I'm, there's, there's no judgment here. Whenever no, exactly. Just, right? I, I'm just providing some <laughs> context. As, asinine relief. He's the context guy. So, uh, okay, right. so keep going. So, so you're doing that. And, and, and traditionally, the more that you immerse yourself in that actual image, you know, I, hopefully you notice some positive feelings. So, 
you know, oh, cool. what we'd call this is nostalgia, euphoria, right? And, yes. and, and, and that's, that's how kind of reminiscing about the old days. So you and I talking about the national 10 plus years ago, that, that, that's what occurs. However, the reverse is also true. So if I asked you to think about your most embarrassing moment, and usually I say, you know, picture your Google search history and having to display that to the world, everything that you've ever put into a Google Please. search bar. Clear right? browsing data. Figure it out. <laughs> and very, very quickly, very quickly, what happens is that we all of a sudden feel this, this, this stress response. Sure. So right? what goes on in the body in the stress response? So what goes on? Well, it's a great question. So typically people, I mean, it's very predictable. So if we were actually able, if we were able to measure um, physiological outcomes, so cortisol, adrenaline, all of these stress hormones that people talk about, um, they would instantaneously be elevated. Um, traditionally, muscle tension will increase, heart rate will increase, blood pressure will increase, um, people will sweat. Um, respiration increases now but if we think about why this is happening it's actually designed this whole response is designed to instantaneously deal with an actual threat fight or fight simply put so if we were in if we were in a dangerous situation if we were in a plane that was turbulent if we were if we heard a, a bomb go off outside we want to be able to respond in a manner that would save our lives without having to think about it. The problem with humans is that we are able to trigger that through arbitrary thought processes. So if we think that we are in danger, we can actually activate that response. So Adam, I, I just want to just uh, just give this a little bit. I, I, I think we all know where you're going. What I'm trying to, I think for our golf show, I yeah. mean, basically, why is it that a putt or a, a difficult shot or the first tee, why does it trigger the same fight or flight, cortisol, uh, all those physiological changes that happen? Why does the perceived not real threat give us the actual physiological feeling of being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. That's that is the entire question that guided my uh, doctoral thesis. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I want to make you. I, what I want to get from you, and I'm gonna. I need you to, to give us your brain here when it comes. So you, we, we've yeah. established that that's what happens to human beings. The question is, why in your mind does yeah. a pleasant thought make you feel warm and fuzzy, and a, you're scared of something as simple as a three foot putt on the first tee or the the first shot on the in a tournament? What did you find? I mean, what, what's going on there, and how do you mitigate that? So let's use that example of missing that putt. You know what was going through my head was the embarrassment of shooting 90. Yeah. So you're thinking. Absolutely. It's, you know what, if I shoot 90, what are my teammates going to think? What, what's, what's my coach going to think? You know, it, back in the day of, of a print media, uh, the local golf tournaments around here would would publish the scores of the the Ottawa Citizen Amateur, um, you know the the Ottawa City and District Championships, and and you know for the fifty people or a hundred people in the city who were who would actually follow the amateur golf scene, you know that for. 15 seconds they're going to comb through the scores <laughs> yeah. and they're and they're going to you know as all armchair uh athletes and sports fans would do would quickly come up with a judgment about that person Ooh, 83 what happened to that person so your um, ego is making you aware of that and trying to protect you from that embarrassment right right and if we and if we if we just assume that that's true if we don't actually challenge mm -hmm. that 
we're, we are going to respond as if the judgment from other people is actually important. And, and I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to tri- I don't want to I don't want to trivialize this because the, the fact of the matter is, is that we, we care about what people think for for good reason. Right. It, it's really adaptive for us to be effective socially. If, if we are able to, you know, respond to the social cues of others, you know, we, we're able to adjust our behavior quickly so we do not get ostracized from the group. And I mean, we can think about, you know, business meetings. We can think about, you know, uh, going on first dates, you know, being an effective um, person. Um, with others is actually really advantageous. So why are we responding this way in golf? Because we know we have learned that people who are successful in sports seem to get accolades. Actually, not seem to. They do get accolades. But uh, I so would question. Just, just listen to what Tim said, though. Unless we, I want to get some question and answers here because you know Tim works with. Uh, uh, performance athletes. You work with Golf Canada. So I think we can accept that what you're saying is true. I think we all feel it. And I think those of us that are in touch with maybe uh, our physical selves on a di- different level in golf, we, we all have had that experience of being in a tournament, can't take the putter back. So now I want to talk about, so you did this as, a, as your degree. You do it as your job, part of your job. So what are, what are some of the things, and maybe Tim can talk about this too, what are some of the things that somebody listening goes, yeah, I, I totally get that. I understand that. It, I, I, it instinctively resonates with me. So now what? So do you think that, you know, and, and not, to, not to criticize the, yeah, but, you know, how can this help me in 15 seconds or less generation? No, but we're only, yeah, but we're doing it. We're doing a, uh, we've only got about 15 okay. more minutes with you. And I, and That's I, true. And, I, and, and there's got, at some point I want to go, Adam Kingsbury, Kingsbury has this idea for you. The next time you play in the spring, you might want to think this. Yeah. So, so simply put, I would say if you become, if you are able to start challenging these automatic assumptions that you make about, you know, what is your worth as a person? If you, if you honestly believe that the performance, your performance on a golf course is analogous to your worth as a human being, well, of course, that stress response is going to occur reliably and predictably. However, if you're able to kind of separate the fact that, you know what, I, I'm playing a game and it's actually not nearly as important as my body is telling me that it is. Mm-hmm. Now, on, on paper, that's a very easy thing to do. In practice, you know, it actually habit change. Well, we know, you know, people who quit smoking, people who want to uh, go to the gym or, or diet, you know, these, these actual changes... Um, require systematic, reflective, mindful awareness and regular repetition. It's not enough to listen to this podcast and then, or read a book and then say, "Okay, great, now I'm, now I'm uh, cured of the, of these uh, ailments." Does that make sense? It does, and so a lot of it is is it's very mature. Um, thinking in terms of looking at myself as just accepting who I am, accepting what I do. Uh, you know, I say mature. Some 16-year-olds can do it, and some 66-year-olds cannot. But what I what really intrigues me is that on the golf course, in the moment, what can someone do to shut off what I call the voice, the voice that says you're not good enough. What if you miss this? What will people think? From my experience, it's the body is the place to go that shuts up the voice. If I just getting into my body and being aware of what's going on, I can I can just get rid of that stuff. And because 
if I make golf into an intellectual thinking process on the golf course, I'm done. You, you know, Adam, it's funny because you know a lot of what you said uh, in terms of people can't listen to podcasts and all of a sudden they're gonna it's gonna be a magic bullet. Um, all the things that you know, whether it's Tim or other people I've worked with, you know, one of the the go to things always is get out of your head. You know, go to some physical. Whether it's a breath or whether it's looking at the horizon, there's a bunch of different little techniques. What what is it the thing that you focus on? So we were talking about intellectual pursuits, right? And and it's so I, what 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 I find fascinating in this conversation is Tim saying, you know, if I get too intellectual, I'm done, right? So Tim personally, you, Tim, you were saying you focus on the body. Howard, you said that you know you've heard people talk about focusing on the breath or do, or doing something else, right? For me, I actually find um, thinking about each shot almost like a math problem. You know, absorbing myself completely in the actual task of hitting the golf shot. So, for example, uh, you have a nine iron in your hand, or no, let, let's go back. You have 142 yards to the flag you know that you have to carry it at least 137, otherwise you're going to be in the bunker. You also know that the green is slightly elevated, and you know that it's a bit hot, and you also know that your back is a bit sore today. Plug in all of those variables, and what club do you need to hit to actually hit the best golf shot? To me, absorbing myself in that kind of thinking process in my pre-shot routine there's no room for anything else. So you're right? saying, yeah. So you're saying it's 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 a process uh, thing, absolutely, versus a breath thing. Well, but can so, it not? Can it? Can it be both? I, I I think I think breathing is is a fundamental skill that is needed to play golf successfully. So so we know that there are certain processes in the body, such as your heart rate, um, your digestion. Um, you know, uh, a number a number of different things. I'm 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 drawing a blank here, but let's just use those two that we actually have no direct input over. Okay. Bre- breathing is one of those things that does occur automatically. However, we are able to cognitively control that. So by embracing a more mindful, relaxed abdominal breath, we are able to actually regulate that physiological process a bit. Now. What we find is that without practicing that, though, it's not enough to just simply take a deep breath only when you're on the golf course. You know, changing your regular breathing patterns is something that actually needs to be done on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And however, so, so for some people, they find that if they focus on their breath, that physiological stress response does diminish a little bit. But for me, it, it's for some people, you know... arousal isn't necessarily their problem it's a lack of focus it's not actually being engaged and connected with the target um it's it's not entirely understanding you know the game and thinking about strategy so yeah when when we talk about this process focus i think identifying if you as a golfer know wow i get so activated on the first tee 
my routine speeds up or it's non-existent. Um, all of a sudden, I feel my hands are tighter. Uh, I feel like my mind is racing a mile a minute. Well, then absolutely, you know, incorporating some, some mindful deep breaths would be a great thing to have in your pre-shot routine. However, if you're, if you're one of these players who walks to the tee and, and anxiety is not necessarily your problem, you're just not engaged. Your shoes are untied. You're, <laughs> you're still on the phone. You're, um, you know, eating a, a sandwich that you've uh, picked up, you know, on the way to the golf course. And then all of a sudden, very quickly, you're angry at yourself because you uh, smashed one out of bounds on the first tee. That's going to be a very different um, intervention. Sure. So, so I guess, I guess the thing is, is that sometimes we, we oversimplify it by saying, oh, anxiety is the problem. But each one of us, you know, I think emotional dysregulation is really the problem and determining what is the most, what is the emotion that you experience most frequently? Is Ron, it Adam, anger? Yeah, Adam, who's more, who's more emotionally dysregular than golfers? Um, you know, uh, I mean, uh, what, think uh, about right. it. Like, there is no, what other sport would you be, what other activity in your life would you be so in love with doing and have so much anxiety around? I mean, it's like our other theme, two strokes from losing your mind. Exactly. Like, you know, what other pursuit, like when you're playing badminton with your children in the backyard on a summer's day, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you hit one a couple in the neck, (laughs) you know, break the racket and say, this game is over. Um, I I just want to, we we only have a few more minutes. I want to direct, I want to direct a couple things. So when you're working with, and I, I, I like what you said about, you know, absorbing yourself in the process. Uh, definitely focuses your mind on something other than I'm horrible and I just made triple. Right. Um, when you're working with, uh, and Adam also works with Curling Canada, which I, th- I think is interesting because there's a lot of that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of touch. There's a lot of finesse and time to think um, and horrible fail. thought and, and yeah. failure. But what do you, when you're working with the people at Golf Canada, what are a couple things you we can sort of have as a little bit of a takeaway? I know that this is a part of a longer uh, dissertation, and I mean that. Um, but in the, in the sort of short term, for someone listening yeah. now, they go, okay, that's an interesting thought. I should become more involved in the process. When you're working with elite players, what do you talk about? Yeah. So the funny the funny thing is is that the more elite the player, the more simple the interventions are. So in fact, it's about that's breaking interesting. The, yeah, breaking the game down into the two or three absolutes, right? <clears throat> so, in fact, what, what what happens is that you know some of these players who are you know plus four, plus five handicaps, right? Which we know. So let's say Howard, what was your um, index when you were playing your best? Zero. Zero. So one of these players over four rounds is going to beat you by sixteen shots. <laughs> Right. And, and and that's why I'm doing a golf podcast <laughs> and my but, name's not on a bag. But it's fascinating. And, and then and and the difference between players at that level and the PGA Tour, it, it's the, the, the gap is even larger. Right. Yes. I mean, it, it's this game that it's it's it, it's seemingly so close, yet it's so actually far away. So um, you're working with those guys. Yeah. Tell us what you do. So we would break down um, their pre-shot routine. And you would see, you would assume that all of these players would have a very well structured routine. That if I put a stopwatch on, you know, they ha- they they they're so aware of all of their mannerisms, um, their quirks. Uh, they they can talk to me about how to actually break down the shot. And I would say ninety five percent of the time, um, this is an area that needs considerable work. So if you are a golfer 
and you are going to hit a golf shot, if you are not approaching that shot in a very structured and systematic way beforehand, well, that's a great place to start. Okay. Well, I'm going, I'm sorry. I'm just, I want to say, so, but if you're not a plus four handicap, yeah. Uh, and, and then what you said is interesting to me. If you're an 18 handicap, and a lot of times we talk about talking to that person, yeah. that person you think has a lot more opportunity for growth and, and, and say, maybe uh, to taking some strokes off their game because they've got a lot of stuff going on. You got it. So, and I would say the exact same thing. So, in fact, in fact if you are a... If you're a golfer who shoots in the 90s or hasn't even broken 100 yet, what a great opportunity for you to learn these fundamentals now, right? So simply put, here's what I say. Where do you want the ball to go? Well, everyone would say, well, great. I want the ball to go in the hole. Oh, I hope they say that, right? So, so you have your target. Then you have your target line, and we know that not sometimes that target line is directly between the ball and the flag, but we know that sometimes you have to curve the ball. So start picturing the shot shape. Well, do you want to hit it high? Do you want to hit it low? Do you want to hit it left? Do you want to hit it right? Maybe you can only hit the ball a certain way. So now you have to adjust. So you have your actual the, where the ball finishes, but then you have the spot that you want the ball to start. You know, simply put, then picture that shot what is the trajectory what do you want to do once you have that picture clear in your mind what is the club that you actually have to select to execute that shot that you've imagined so tim when you're working with players i mean i i can i can't imagine there's not an 18 handicap listing that goes through that process that is thinking those things they're just not they're thinking all kind of things that have nothing to do with what Adam just described. No, your average 18 handicapper is concerned about the consequence. What's going to happen to the shot? Is it going to go out of bounds? Is it going to go in the pond? What's going to happen to my score? You know, am I going to be able to break 45 in this front nine? They're projecting into the future. That's brilliant, actually. They're thinking all those things, and they're thinking none of the things that Adam just described, which has Adam's description is everything to do with what's about to happen. Not anything to do with what might happen if it screws up. It's just like he talked about is being concerned about what are the guys going to say right. when they find out that I had a shot at breaking 90 and, of course, I tripled the 18th hole, choked yet again. They're in the future and because our identity's caught up in it, their expectations for the day, they're all amped up. But I, I like what it's interesting. I'm, right now, Adam's still here, but I, I like to have we're having a conversation. Like, hey, this is what we learned from Adam. But um, it's true. Most guys, even at a high, at a, an elite level, you know, zero, one, two, three, single digit handicap. A lot of the times, I know I'm not thinking about the picture as well as I could, or I'm not focused on those things as 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 intently as as you've just described them, Adam. And I think if we learn nothing, you know, other than today, that that process can triumph over. You know, whatever all those other emotions that uh, most of us think while we're playing the game. Very much so. I mean, think of it as a computer program. You are to actually execute a motor skill. You want to give yourself as much data as you can to influence shot selection. So the more, you know, people say, look, cliches in golf are, exist for a reason because there's tremendous there's tremendous truth in all of them. But when we say, you know, one shot at a time, what does that actually mean? Right. And, 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 and what that actually means is that when you are hitting a golf shot, that's the only thing that matters. Now, 
this, this, the other work that I would do is managing those expectations, those thoughts, those, you know, what are the guys going to think? Um, and that, I guess that's the work that takes, um, longer because there's usually deep seated, um, reasons why we tend to think that way automatically but simply put if you don't ever want to um get into that and you're going to be a hothead for the rest of your life and you're going to react emotionally the same way that's fine but if you want to help your golf game embrace the actual task of hitting a golf shot the more that you're in the more that you're focusing on that the less room that you have cognitively to think about all of this other nonsense listen dude it was great talking to you and i I love catching up with you um adam's presenting or has presented to the world scientific congress of golf and i believe you're going to be going to uh, st andrews scotland is it this summer it is this summer. I'm uh, yeah. I'm presenting my final two studies and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully a workshop. Uh, wow. as I just well. love the so. fact that you somehow connive to uh, combine going out golfing with your job. Aren't yes. you super smart? All right, pal. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you guys, and um, I would. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really enjoying the show. It's uh, been it's been fun to listen to on the way to work, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully talking with you guys further. All right, Adam Kingsbury, nice talking to you. I'll go and tell call your mother today and say Howard had him had me on the show. Right? Just leave me alone. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you soon. I'm going to call her right hey, away. I will, Thanks, I'll guys. catch up with you this week. We're going to make uh, some arrangements to hang out together. It sounds good. All right, pal. Nice All right. See, now, now we're talking about what really matters. He was on the show. It's all about his feelings right. with his mother. That's You, know, you want to get down to what golf and everything's about? <laughs> you know, Your I, mom. I would love to talk about, at some point, why is it that golf draws people in? A certain type of person plays the game. Or does golf create a, a forum or a palette for a certain type of person's anxiety-ridden freak show? Um, our next guest, who's been sitting here uh, feverish, feverishly writing away. Gesturing. Gesturing. She, 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 she wants to talk because... She. Uh, this will be interesting because Adam had a lot to say about the intellectual pursuit. Smart guy. Wow. Yeah, he's crazy smart. But and and, and Adam's. I mean, there's so much. I, I mean, I feel bad because you know when you know so much, it's hard sometimes to get everything out. Right. I don't have that problem. <laughs> I, I can pretty much get everything I know out very quickly. Uh, but Adam's approach. I think it's going to be different than Rosa Rago, who is our guest sitting here. And I, I kept gesturing to you. You don't need to try this hard. <laughs> Rosa, it's 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 going to be so much fun. But Rosa's uh, story is a little bit different. Rosa's all about um, mind and body, and, and it's funny because I, I Rosa's been working with me the last month or so, uh, getting me in better shape and and just readjusting or what's the word you always use? Um, you're reformatting or reorganizing, reorganizing <laughs> some of the horrible things that have been going on in my body. But recently, I wrote something for her website, and I said, Rosa is one of the unique people you meet who you instantly know will make you feel better, even though you don't know why. Uh, Rosa is a world-class fitness trainer. Uh, she was a varsity-level soccer player in the, the United States. And I said, but she's even a better person. She, she will help you stretch your body and your perspective to affect positive and permanent changes. And Rosa's story, hello. Hello. Are those things all true? Absolutely. Uh, Rosa was a uh, varsity member of a soccer team in the states of Michigan, I believe. Central Michigan University. And uh, Rosa was, uh, you know, one of those people who played athletics at a high level, and everything was going along a certain way, and then Rosa got hit by a car, Ouch. and then everything changed. 
Yes. So talk to me a little bit about Rosa and, and speak up. Okay. <laughs> uh, speak from your diaphragm. About Rosa before. She has great posture. It's funny. I'm my, crossing my legs right now. My, my posture has changed in a month. It's hysterical. Like I, I uh, Rosa one day she took a video of what my sort of resting posture was. And I'm like, no wonder I've hurt so much. I'm like caving in on myself. Um, talk to me a couple. Give me a couple minutes of what life was like for Rosa as an athlete, as an elite performer prior to the accident, then the accident, and then what your path has been since then. And then we can talk about the, the two and a half pages. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. The pages of so notes much, you've been how taking. How much time do I have for this story? I can well, give you a really short version. Yeah, um, give me, let's, let's get, because we, okay. we, we have about 25 or 30 more minutes. Left. Okay. So basically, um, I was an overachiever. I, you know, I was, um, I graduated with honors. I always did well in school. Things came very easy for me. Um, but I was very loud in my head. I didn't perceive it that way at first. Um, but that kind of way of being actually got me a lot of success. Okay. So, um, like anyone who's really successful, usually it's because, you know, they, they can, um, they can just fulfill so many tasks and, and, um, you know, whatever anyway. So basically just an athlete really loud. I used to work out, I used to run for fun for like two hours. Um, I used to, you know, count my calories and everything was under control. So that was kind of my approach with everything. Um, and I found a lot of success, um, on the outside. You went to university on a scholarship, I think. Yes. I was on a full ride, full ride for soccer uh, at Central Michigan university. And, um, and so, you know, when I got into, um, university, the intensity of training was, it was actually more intense. Actually, it got more intense probably when I was 17 years old. I uh, played at a provincial and national level. And uh, so I was playing for like three soccer teams at once, uh, grade 11, grade 12. So I, I remember wow. literally coming home around three o'clock. Dinner was already made after school. Um, my soccer bag and everything was already almost packed. And my mom, I literally had to rush. My mom would, you know, quickly take me to one soccer practice and the next I'd come home somehow managed to uh, be you know a straight A student and just just in time to go to bed and start it all, all over again kind of thing so um, that was kind of uh, my life it's all I really knew was just to be that way just to go 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 and um, so it was very subconscious for me to find success that way that was just how I was um, so I actually skipped class one day. I um, skipped class. This is a university? Yes. Um, so finally fast-tracked my fourth year university. I, I think this is the foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> I could get some foreshadowing music, but I think it's better. <laughs> I, skipped, I skipped class because I painted my nails and they weren't dry enough. So I, I mean, who class. among us hasn't skipped class to paint our nails, Tim? <laughs> Come on. So, no um, judgment. I repressed that part. Yeah. I repressed it. So I uh, decided just to go for a quick run. So it was like 20 minutes. And I didn't take the key with me. Um, so I told my roommate, I'm going to be back in 20 minutes. I'm not going to take the key. Are you going to be home? And she's like, yeah, okay. So I literally got back probably within 19 minutes. And I saw her across the other, like on the other side of the road. And I remember yelling at her, like, where are you going? And uh, she's like, oh, sorry. I thought I could quickly make it back, you know. And so anyway, so we had to go back to the intersection. I had to get the key from her. Um, and in that moment is when I crossed the street and um, to go get the key. And I remember her trying to call my name. But by then I got sweeped by a car and I flew up in the air. And I did a 360 in the air and... Um, and yeah, I was actually fully awake. I didn't get knocked out, but I actually. F- I'm, I'm just curious. I've never talked. To, I've never. I don't think I've had a chance to ask somebody. When the car hits you, yeah. Does it hurt like a mother? You know what? I didn't feel anything, to be honest, at first. I felt everything about two, three hours later. It felt like I no, hit No, but you car. got hit. With the, the car hits you. You do a cartoon somersault in yes. the air or something. And are, are you thinking? What are you thinking? Wow! I just got hit by a car. 
unfortunately, I didn't have time to think. Um, <laughs> I just, uh, it happened with, it felt like a half second. Um, but then I had 45 minutes on the ground before the ambulance came, and that's when the thinking... So they didn't have ambulances in the town you were in? Um, they did, but for some reason, maybe they found out I was Canadian, they decided to wait another 45 minutes, oh, I don't know. <laughs> very nice. So I'm just... But we like our American listeners. Just yes. Just, <laughs> except the ones who didn't come to Rose's... Uh, <laughs> right. um, no, so, you know, I just waited 45 minutes. My, my roommate was just kind of directing traffic to make sure I didn't get run over again. And uh, I just kind of... You know, um, the whole time I had time to think. And um, I actually remember my internal dialogue thinking, first, your natural reaction is like, holy shit, I just got hit by a car, right? Um, so, but right away, the, I, my, the fear started to kick in. Like, am I going to have a heart attack? So I knew if I stressed, I would increase the chances of getting a heart attack. So right away, I just kept telling myself, it's okay. Like, j- just be relaxed. Just, I kept like kind of talking to myself to just chill, just chill. What were the extent of your injuries? Yeah. Um, so I have a metal plate in my left arm. And um, I was immobile for a while. Like, I couldn't walk. My knees were swollen. Uh, do, you, do you ever watch The Nutty Professor? Yes. You know how he swells up? The original one or the Eddie Murphy one? Uh, the Eddie Murphy one. <laughs> okay, that's cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> broken bones. Uh, uh, so, I broke my left arm and I have a metal plate in my arm, but everything else was, was just was really swollen everywhere. Um, I couldn't walk for a while um, just because of the swelling. I thought I broke my legs, but... So, we're basically talking about transformation, right? Yes. Okay. So, in your moment on the, on the, on the pavement, your transformation was around just being aware of what was going on and taking a look at your thought process because mm-hmm. so but, so it wasn't around devastation around i'll never play soccer again because i've got a broken pelvis or something like that no more around like am i gonna die <laughs> like am i gonna go to the hospital and all of a sudden you know you find out later that you know i'm gonna be in the newspaper and you know woman gets hit seemed by okay and hours later <laughs> yeah and then she died right. yeah so you're on the ground like, i'm thinking about what's happening to me internally sure you know so and so you the reason that's so significant in your story, and Rose's uh, website is risemindbody.com, and we'll mention that again, what she does with people and how it relates to golf, um, and that's going to be coming up here in a second or two, but you're, you're on the ground, and, and Rosa before was this high achiever athlete, and then you had to, and going down a certain path, mm-hmm. and then after this accident, this accident started you down a different path, uh, or did it start a, a different path right away? You know what? I would have to say that it maybe the path didn't change. The the form may have changed, um, but I think more so the experience from my perspective and how I saw life, and therefore how I reacted to things changed. So maybe the path started to. Um, I was more driven by fear. I re- later realized it was all more fear driven, uh, more ego driven. Um, whereas now it's more. I find that it's more present. Um, I feel like every day is a new day. I'm not looking to achieve anything. Um, achievements happen. They happen, but they are a consequence of just being present. And so, so. so I think this is a good spot where we can really kind of make a, a connection to golf here. Mm-hmm. And what Adam was talking about, and I got in there about the ego. Mm-hmm. And so for you, was a lot of your overachieving, you said it was based in fear. Mm-hmm. So is that around... Um, meeting parents' expectations, meeting Not your own all. expectations, or just 
or so where were you coming from in terms of this fear so it wasn't a conscious choice to be driven by fear and it's no, n- and it's no one's conscious choice to be driven by, by fear I actually didn't know I was driven by fear until I wasn't driven until I detached from being driven by fear so you don't know what you um, what you don't know so when you don't know what you're being until you're no longer being it right um, so uh, in you know my in the process of healing as I learned stuff about me and started to find my stillness and my silence um, I started to realize I was driven by ego because I, I was an athlete since I was eight years old so it just becomes a programming that you know the way athletics are built it's around performance it's around you know it, it's about you know, I, I, I don't know. Podium maybe finishes and Yeah, of course. It's about results and, and all yeah. that stuff. Um, although I was never really as emotionally attached. Um, I found that my success as an athlete was because I was never really emotionally attached. I could come off the field and I was okay with it. Um, so I, I noticed uh, during Adam's talk, you were making some notes. Yes. Um, and we had talked a little bit uh, about your appearance today and how I thought you could benefit golfers listening for a couple reasons. One is... You're a great person. You're positive to, to be around. And a lot of golfers might go to someone like you just to learn how to stretch or learn how to, mm-hmm. you know, get a little bit stronger in areas that are, are good for golf. But I should also mention that, you know, Rosa at one point was out of 2,800 uh, fitness trainers in Canada for Good Life, I believe. Yes. She was in the top five. So she she's a, an elite trainer as well. But you're, you're, you decided that even doing traditional training mm-hmm. isn't something that you were that resonated with you anymore. You wanted to do something a little bit different. And and maybe we can talk a little bit about how that would affect a golfer as opposed to just going out and getting stronger and building muscle on broken platforms. Yes. So first I just want to make it clear. I um my my greater picture was always that I wanted to help people. Um, so I wasn't attached to the form that it would take. I would just always make a choice based on what I thought at that moment was the best way. So when I graduated from university, I thought I would be a doctor because that's a way to help people. Um, so I actually did my clinical internship at a hospital and worked with patients. And uh, the approach to health didn't resonate for me. So I graduated and then I applied to become a personal trainer thinking I need You had to- a degree in kinesiology or? Exercise science. Exercise science. So I thought, okay, with this, um, uh, a focus on um, cardiac patients and pulmonary patients so then i thought okay well how can i prevent people from getting to this point so Mm -hmm. i thought okay maybe training them being a personal trainer so here i am with a five-year degree uh with honors i had an opportunity to actually work at the hospital that i did the internship at um and i stuck to my greater purpose which i want to help people so that's what i believed was to become a trainer um at good life and so i became a trainer at good life and while working with people um it was always about making sure that aligned with my purpose so as i'm working with people there's people who are losing weight not everyone's losing losing weight um but you know when there are losing weight in conversation you get to you you hang out with your clients three times a week that's more than as you get older you know that's mm-hmm. not you don't hang out with your friends that often right um so i'm getting to know them and and i as i'm getting to know them i realize that just like the golf game it's bringing out a side to them where it's like what, what's the point this is not fulfilling because you know we're to me it's as a greater purpose i'm trying to help someone uh, to become better to improve the quality of their life and even though they're getting results there's always something else that they're not happy with right there was a lack of uh, presence and all that so so then I, but in the, at the same time, simultaneously, I was healing my body. So that's when I started to learn things about what was going on with my body. So I had to simplify um, exercises for my own body, which kind of helped me not to, I always in theory knew how to help a client say with shoulder injury, you got to do exercise ABC, you, you get taught that in your courses in school and everything, but applying it and just knowing it and 
experiencing it are two different things. So it wasn't until I had to experience the exercise for myself where I realized it's very intuitive. You have to really go with feel with what you feel. You can do an exercise that in theory is excellent for your for the rehab process. But if your mind is not present, mm-hmm. you're not going to get anything out of it. Um, so as I started to discover this through experience with my clients, I realized that before anything, before you actually train the body, your mind has to actually um, know the body's there. It needs to actually have a connection. So it's eventually started to evolve to a mind-body mastery. You know, it's about really mastering the mind-body relationship and understanding that when the mind and the body have a good relationship, like in any relationship, there's harmony. And when there's harmony, there's stillness. And I just want to stop because one thing I, I when Tim and I were on a, a chipping area about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and you were watching me chip and you, we, I was having a little trouble. And I remember you saying this to me. You said, you know, you really need to be more almost not a, get more into your body, get more into the, as opposed to worrying about how, where it's going to go. You actually said this to me about, you know, you need to feel this in your body a little bit more. And then when you, when I first met Rosa, she said, you know, she said, put your mind, say, I don't know, in your, your tricep. I, I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. I literally couldn't feel where it was. And it but sort you of know, was, but you know it's there. You know it's there, but it's almost like what you said, Timmy. It's like we, we're on this, we're playing this sport, and we're so we're just so disconnected from ourselves. And that was a powerful thing. It's funny, and I didn't appreciate it what you said to me until we had been talking about, mm-hmm. hey, can you, Howard? Could you, if I told you to flex your pet, could you do that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Is it where is it? Isn't that weird that most golfers spend so much time doing a sport that's physical without any connection to themselves physically? It's a physical game, and but we're totally caught in our heads gener- generally. It's kind of like someone uh, is riding a horse that there's bo- their body. They're riding around going, have you seen my horse? They have no idea. That's right. They're, they're, totally. They're connected, but they're totally disconnected from it. Because, totally. you know, as a society, um, we're generally disconnected, A, from our feelings, and B, from our bodies. Totally. So, and so that's, that's, that's the connection that I really wanted to explore with you yes. was how in your journey, mm-hmm. it seems to me that you got... You were a driven person, mm-hmm. ego, thinking, doing, doing all this work, really pushing yourself. But would it be right to say that you started to achieve a degree of peace in your life when you started to become more understanding of, of being in your body and f- actually feeling Absolutely. what was going on? Absolutely. And to me, that is the connection that most golfers just don't have. Yes. And, and as you say, as with the horse, they're not even aware they don't have it. You know, they don't really, mo- most of us don't, f- aren't, we don't think of it as a physical activity, yet it's a hugely physical activity. So continue, Rosa, um, in terms, because I, I want to talk a little bit about how your relationship with, first of all, obviously, we talked about your different approach to training, but also with golfers particularly. Well, first of all, when we get in our head, um, the things that we're not actually even in our physical head, our thoughts are not even near us. They're out, totally outside of us. We can be in this room right now, and I could be thinking right now about my dog that I left at, you know, at <laughs> my home and thinking... You're, you're time get, traveling. Yeah, right? So that's that's the reality is that we're not even... To not be present, if people understand that it's because our thoughts are not in us. So the closer we get to our bodies, if we were like an onion, we literally need to get down to the core which is actually even the physical spine if we can't if we're so in our thoughts it's impossible that we can actually even perceive our body and our emotions that's and the thing is too is our emotions are 
you know, fear is an illusion. It's not even real. So our, we perceive and experience emotion through our body. So when you, you know, have butterflies, it happens in your stomach. When you get excited, you feel that in your, in your, in your stomach or whatever. You know, when someone hurts your feelings, it, you, you know what I mean? Your body reacts to it. So that right there is just proof that our emotions exist in our body. Absolutely. Um, and so when we suppress them, we do so well suppressing them because we don't want to feel emotion. So mm-hmm. naturally we numb ourselves. So we actually f- detach from the body. And that's why you, we can't feel our bodies when we close our eyes and try to feel it. And we pour um, alcohol on them. <laughs> but from a golfer's standpoint, standpoint, you know, and, and sort of not, I'm not discounting what Adam said. When you're emotionally upset, good, bad, excited, golfing, good hole, bad hole, uh, embarrassed, whatever, those are physical. Yeah, so. It manifests itself. We've all felt that. Your body is your gateway to your feelings. Yes, absolutely. But what's happening there is that. You know, before you walked on, you know, the golf course that day, you are a person who's lived a whole life probably numbing yourself naturally as human beings. We numb ourselves and we live, a lot of us live through fear unless we're consciously on a journey and on, you know, addressing those things. Um, but what happens is we're detached from the body so that we can numb ourselves from these fears, but they're, the emotions are there. We just detach from them. So I believe that golf really is just exposing what's going on with your subconscious state. And well said. in that, there in that very, in that very <laughs> moment in that sport to tr- to think that you can actually try to find stillness in that moment and and move the only way it can be done is through control but now control is a f- is from a place of fear right so there needs to be a separate practice outside of the golf and an understanding that it's the foundation is, is all about really trying to get that mind body mastery and that relationship that practice and if you want to use the the sport of golf as you know, more time into that practice and detach from, it's not about, you know, the shot, but it's about right at this moment, I'm training my mind and body to have a relationship. So what do I want to train? I want to train my mind and body to be at peace together. So it's not about telling your mind to tell you what to do, but to surrender the conscious mind. Ooh. You know what I mean? To, to surrender. let go, not to come from a place of control. I'm sorry, Tim was saying go. something. Well, surrender is yes. right just on, surrender. right on everyone. But when you say surrender in our, in, in our society, now people think that that's like giving up. No. To me, I view it as that's a place where you go in and it's a place of trust. But the fact is there's uh, six million people uh, playing golf or whatever the number is in North America. And most of them are, you know, it's one of the things that when you say you don't know what you don't know, most golfers don't even consider that there's this huge other thing going on. They've played golf their whole lives, guys our age, you know, they just, it's like they do the same thing over and over again and wonder why the results are same. This, this topic today isn't about strategy, about, you know, how to hit your nine iron better. It's about, you know, what is going on with us as players, as people, that's preventing us from enjoying it on even a most rudimentary level. And, and, and all this stuff that we're talking about now is really just, it's why a lot of us aren't enjoying all parts of our lives. We just happen to use golf as a sort of a way to it's a metaphor for how, metaphor. Sh- how shitty the rest of it is yep well in it, it's not just golf really it's any sport it's um it almost becomes like an escape or a place a safe place right um it's not um you know and it's very common for athletes when their sport when their sport ends they kind of feel lost right, right. it's their identity so it's very important to understand that it doesn't matter how professional of an athlete you are or a golfer you are there needs to be a greater purpose you know you're not a golfer you are something greater than that and when you acknowledge that then you can go on the on on the golf course or whatever on a soccer field or it doesn't matter um 
knowing that and being at ease to know that at the end of the day, you're just, you, you know, it's about finding that, that ease and grace within everything that you do and bringing, bringing that into the golf course. Um, and when you make it so much about the sport, you're not seeing the greater picture, then sure, of course, it's going to be like this, you know, this, um, this battle of trying to control everything, you know, and, and yeah, so... Um, one of the things I, I wanted to talk a little bit with Rosa before she goes is, um, and, and, and I don't know, I mean, Rosa is just one of those very, very special people that sort of got this early on in life. And a lot of us could, you know, maybe take a page from this, uh, com. go check out the new site. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this is a, about you getting new clients, but they're certainly going to get, you're going to get people to maybe be um, fans of your, your, your way of thinking, especially when it comes to getting yourself ready for golf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, a lot of guys do, they hit the gym in January, February, March, they try and, you know, get, get in better shape. But your, your point to me was you can't get in better shape, you can't build muscle on injured areas and, 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 you know, like traditionally you go in there and do bicep curls. Yeah, your biceps might get bigger, but you're not going to build the correct, what you, how do you call it? What's the word you always say? Um, uh, like an operating system almost. Like it's not going to work the way you want it to. No. Well, the the whole body works like a chain. So um, I'm not sure that I know that what it is specifically. Well, you're saying you, you can build muscle, but if you build muscle on top of. You can uh, build a, muscle like superficially, but there's. Right. We're not accessing deeper layers that are. And, and how you know you're doing that is over time you get injured, you hit a plateau. You realize how come my bench press won't go up until you either stop because of an injury or because you just can't go higher or, or whatever. So. There's so much more to that. But. but how much, when it comes to golf, what are golfers generally doing wrong when it comes to time getting ready for golf? Um, you know, I, I have to say it's just a um, a lack of connection between mind-body relationship, ultimately. Um, so if, if I had to recommend something for golfers or anyone in life, this would end up being advice for anyone in life, but let's make this specific to what we're talking about, is um, that the mind and body are with each other 24-7. Right. So you have, except for the fact that you're sleeping, say, for eight hours a day. Okay, you have 16 potential hours to master. It takes 10,000 hours to master something. You have 16 potential hours um, to master that mind body connection. And so simply just being mindful all day when you're driving, if you're driving, if you catch your thoughts, put your mind on how your hands holding the steering wheel, you know, pressing your back up against right there. That's a moment that you just put towards you invest in towards this mastery and simple things like that. You will find when you go on the golf course when you have to get in that zone it's natural to you because you're you're programming it well you know we've talked to a bunch of experts tim and i know a bunch of guys that have great you know methodology around becoming more mindful on the golf course and that's a great thing that rosa said i mean you know our, our friend doolin has this you know simple technique of you know keeping your eyes on the horizon and every and, and, and adam's right you can't learn it in one day but over the course of a round you can keep practicing mm-hmm. moments i like that idea the mo- practicing moments of mindfulness continually take you away from all the other things that we hate about ourselves when we golf and know what those moments are investing into like if you knew that okay i have a bucket of moments of of awareness or or presence once i get to ten thousand moments i'll be an amazing golfer because we know for a fact the moment that we have a great swing or that we do well in the sport is the moment that we're still and we know to achieve that stillness we need to have a mastery in that mind-body connection so look at it 
it as okay. So next almost time, like an investment. Yeah. So now look at it as okay when you you know hit the ball and it's not a good one. So what? Like even the, how you react to how it was is another potential moment on how you relate that mind body. It's not just about that. You know what I mean? So that the next one's going to be better just because how you re- your reaction. Right, to as it. you say, you need ten thousand hours yeah. of those moments, Timmy. Totally. Well, it's all about how we how we respond versus react mm-hmm. and what we take into our into our regular lives. You cannot flip a switch on any of this stuff. It's like reading a, a tip in golf digest and mm-hmm. try and take it to the first tee. This is the same thing. You can't just flip a switch and say, I'm gonna be more mindful for this round. Right. No. You have to be practicing this and ingrain thing, it. Yeah. So what what I advise clients to do, and it takes a while to get this, is that they can do something what I call a body scan. And while they're just going to take the shot, they could just they just sit there and just just scan through their body what's going on. Totally. And that if there's one thing you can do on the golf course, that'll help you huge hugely. Now, so if you're feeling some tension in your shoulders, mm-hmm. you just kind of be with your shoulders and it'll go away. So there are so it is a, a large process. It's a journey, but there's little things we can do, and the body scan is one of them. But the point of this That's show, I'm, I, the point of this show is really to get you to understand that there is a step one to be taken. And if you don't know that, at least knowing that, you know, it, it is a process, but you got to know you have to begin it. And that maybe this is the golf season that you start focusing on this as something to be mindful of versus trying to cure your slice or trying to make a different move that, you know, frankly, at this point in your golfing life, like by the time you're our age, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to have. That's your golf swing. But this stuff we're talking about, you can actually make that change. And I think that what we're doing here is making you aware that there's a change to be made. Well, it's um, it's interesting. The body scan is actually like the first thing I teach my clients before any weight training is, you know, first you need to know your body. So doing a body scan. But the interesting thing is, um, as I, I would teach my clients that, I realize they, and you'll find this in golf as well, we get in position and then we'll feel the tension shoulder and we start moving the shoulder. We try to control the tension. So it's also important that as we scan the body, when we acknowledge the tension, we need to just witness the tension. We can't, it's how you approach the tension as well. So once you acknowledge tension, um, just stare at it. Just be with it. And in being with it, it will relax, right? So that's um, very, very important. I just want to bring yeah. that back. And that's versus trying to say fix fix it now. Fix mechanics in, yes. the, in the my slice so I get rid of it. That's investing in it versus mm-hmm. just doing investing your time and your energies into a way of being that you want. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything on that scribbly pad of uh, notes that you uh, never got a yeah, chance to? We don't want to waste yes. anything. Yes, okay. In, okay this you know, this I know, has got to be the last thing. Okay, I know a lot of golfers go into the gym and they weight train. They do these like, you know, extra pretty spe- golf-specific type movements, right? So it's really important that they understand that at the end of the day, body mechanics is body mechanics. So how the body moves is the, it, there's, does, it doesn't have to be fancy, okay? I think, um, in my opinion, it's a selling tactic. I think if you can just, first of all, get your mind and body connected and understand that when you do weight training, for example, like just like, for example, if I hate a person or if I hate a lollipop, the mind doesn't know what you're hating. It just knows you're experiencing hate, right? So when you're in the what weight training room... What if you hate room, both a person and a lollipop? Mind doesn't what know. What if you hate a person <laughs> with a lollipop? 
How could I hate because a lollipop? No, because they took your lollipop. Okay. Instead, we're just talking about varying degrees of hate, right? But what I'm saying is, you know, just when you go to the weight room, your mind doesn't know if it's experiencing stress from weight training, stress from being chased by a lion. It doesn't, it can't distinguish what it's being stressed by. Okay. So when you go into the weight room, understand that you're teaching, you're, you're teaching the body, okay, I'm exposed to stress. How am I going to handle this? So, you know, grunting and, and training your body to be strong with tension is not the way, it's not going to translate into golf, but understanding Ooh. that it's about strengthening with ease and with grace. And then it's, by doing that is it's actually going to bring that programming into the golf game. What do you always say? You always say to me, you always say with tension, lose attention. Let, let go of the, I'll say, hold on to the strength, but let go of the tension. Hold on to the strength, let go of the tension. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we'll end today's session. Oh my. I'm listening. Uh, wow, Dr. Tim Thank you. Thank say you. again? She's passionate. I love it. Really? Why do you think she's here? <laughs> uh, Adam Kingsbury, thank you for being on the show. He's going to be a doctor soon. That'll be weird for me. Dr. Punk. Uh, Rosa, <laughs> uh, risemindbody.com. Uh, this won't be the last time we have you on. Unbelievable person. Get the rest of the scribblings on. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Tim is available uh, for um, all kinds of things. You know, you need some help around the uh, yard. <laughs> That's right. If you're looking for some help around uh, the your house. demo tape. You know, um, look at your golf swing. What do you, I, I, Tim's currently working with uh, some good junior players and some other players. Yeah, at the Club Link Academy, working with, uh, the, these are kids who, uh, it's kind of like the AAA golfers. Right. And uh, what amazing kids. It's really fun to, fun to work with them and, uh they're just like they're just like adult golfers. They're just not really aware of what's going on. Do you have room in your schedule though for people that might uh, listen and say, "I would like to work with you"? O'ConnorGolf.ca. Is, is there hours in the day still? Oh, I can squeeze a few in. All yes, right. of course. There's lots of room. Um, so if you go to Tim's website, uh, Tim will uh, hook you up. He has got a great offer too. And I, I've, I've sent some people. Uh, well, friends of mine have taken Tim up on his offer, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, he'll give you a break on some introductory sessions. Because I think, and we all think, it's important that uh, you start thinking about this as a way to, um, not, there's no mastery in golf. There really is, I think, the whole point of this for me is that you just want to enjoy it more. Because really, it's supposed to be something you love doing. It's a practice of life that's just taken in the form of golf in that moment. Right. Yeah. And it's so weird. And, uh, and it's, it took me a long time to understand that I don't care how good I am at it. And I am physically pretty good at it. But the fact that you, you need to enjoy it more took me like 70 years and amazing how much better you play when you approach golf from a place of just how much freedom can i enjoy what can i learn about myself and be with others really it's you're talking about witnessing yeah. ken wilbur philosopher unity mm-hmm. and when we have have unity in our lives that's when there's peace and there's grace that you, as you talked about and everything flows better and woo woo this is totally. just like yeah we but you, the, and the thing is you 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 know you can have all that stuff and still shank it but the, <laughs> the idea, but the idea is you won't beat, care. But you don't beat the crap out of yourself. Exactly. Okay, yeah. I promised Tim that we'd play some Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you, uh, you make me joyful and sad. Maurice White of Earth, Wind, and Fire died this week. Um, man, what a, a great artist, great music. Now, he's talking about getting in your body. Holy crap. How He was 74. 74 years old. 
Yeah, Parkinson's, unfortunately. Um, yeah, what a great band. And uh, it's funny because uh, I remember playing, not, not so, I played this song as a young announcer, but also uh, the Beatles, they did the cover of uh, Got to Get You Into My Life. Oh, yeah. Like, it's Ooh. unbelievable. Uh, anyways, we'll, uh, I, I wanted to make sure because Tim was feeling sad about it. When I and he wanted to know if I felt sad about a song, would, it, would I play poorly? And I said, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I, I can't answer that. Uh, Rosa, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for what we, listen, it's funny. I went, and, uh, my golf teacher is a friend we've had on the show. Sean, uh, Casey. Sean Casey and I've been working with Rosa for I don't know we, is it coming into the fourth week yes four weeks but I hadn't seen Casey in a couple weeks so I've been working with Rosa mm-hmm. like three or four times a week and then Casey sees me two days ago and uh, it's funny because he says to me what, what have you been doing I said what he said look at you he says you're jacked I go I'm not jacked he goes and you've had a, have you had a, a chin tuck <laughs> I'm like what no that's from the booze class that's, not, that's what I said he said you look different I said well it's Rosa okay he goes oh yeah and Rosa Casey, Casey knows Rosa uh, alright everyone hope you enjoyed the show don't forget to subscribe and uh, share it on uh, Facebook and on Twitter and uh, we'll see you next week in the dark it's raining in the park but meantime sound of the river you're stopping your whole Band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. You feel alright when you hear.